Hello, Mr. Mazor. Um, how are you today? I'm good. Even though I asked you that before, but um, yeah. We did, we did. Um, would you like to introduce your um, institution and what uh, what you are studying right now, specifically in the math field and in general? Uh, well, uh, briefly, I'm at Harvard. I've been at Harvard for a while. And uh, I teach and I do research. And the research I do at the moment is in number theory, solutions of um, polynomial equations. Uh, how many are there? What is their structure? What uh, uh, one can, can one say about the interesting questions that they um, uh, produce? Uh, or um, on what can we say about the structure of number mm -hmm. from this vantage point? Yeah, for sure. And I once I uh, looked into your videos and then math videos, um, so I noticed that you did some studies in knot theory. Um, could you tell us about something about knot theory and how it relates to number theory? Well, it's very hard to uh, actually do that, but there is a very uh, uh, striking analogy that I use to move from being interested in knots and topology and low-dimensional manifolds and the Euclidean space and its uh, uh, geometry to the theory of numbers. And the analogy is something that I can only explain on a technical level, but it, had, it can be expressed as an English sentence. Mm -hmm. Maybe prime numbers are like knots. <laughs> oh, interesting. So that uh, sounds bizarre, but if you take it from the right vantage point, it turns out to be a quite a natural analogy and uh, um, a fruitful one, at least for me, because I moved from one subject, not theory, to number theory, uh, helped very much by this analogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's always connections between different math fields. Like you can, also, you can always connect different ideas, I would say. It's like knowledge transfer. Yeah. Or analogies. Analogy, fruitful analogies that make uh, an intuition in one subject useful in another subject, and the intuition in that other subject useful in that first subject. For example, um, everyone knows, um, uh, I think, uh, from uh, just high school. Uh, curriculum that there is a subject called analytic geometry. Yeah. Now, analytic is um, a geometry. Analytic is uh, an adjective in that phrase, analytic geometry. But uh, it is uh, uh, a field of its own analysis and geometry are two fields they seem to have nothing much to do with each other geometry has to do with pictures analysis has to do with equations or formulas or 
and uh, yet analytic geometry brings them together. Mm -hmm. Not only brings them together, but allows the intuition of geometry to play a role in analysis and allows the intuition of equations and analysis to play a role in this visual subject, geometry. The, um, yeah. the uh, creator of analytic, well, one of the many creators of analytic geometry is Rene Descartes. And he said, it corrects the defects of each subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, philo philosophical. It's like this, I think math is really philosophical and spiritual sometimes. Um, I've also heard of, um, there was a debate between um, geometry, geometrical expression of mathematical ideas versus algebraic expression. So there are people who think that in order to refine your mathematical communication, you have to, I think some people argue that using geometry, you can express your ideas more clearly and logically compared to just writing algebra. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's, it's like a different ways of expression, but of course geometry is super helpful, especially e Euclidean geometry, even though it's super outdated right now. Like a lot of people think that e Euclidean outdated. No, it is not outdated. Yeah, but but it's so out, like helpful for us. We just need to use it. We, we still need to learn how to draw circles and shapes and construct different triangles in a circle using Euclidean geometry or draw maybe, maybe a bisection or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I, you must have um, PhD students, undergrads. So how, uh, how do you teach them like um, on a regular basis? Like, do you teach them kind of differently according to different math routines? You teach them differently according to different people. That is mm -hmm. say, you're, it's a personal relationship between a teacher, a math teacher, or any teacher, and a student. And of course you treat them, teach differently because you're teaching a different person as you uh, um, move from teaching one student to another. So yes, differently. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, um, do you examine their personalities and characteristics? And then you teach them differently according to how no, they work? Not, not in that way. I mean, I would say uh, they might uh, generate a question and the type of question that they generate might suggest that we, me and the student, investigate something in one direction. And if they ask the question in a completely different way, we would... Uh, investigate in a different direction. We would um, have a conversation rather than uh, that uh, uh, I would have an approach that I would make to uh, um, pose my problems to any, uh, any student, no matter who the student is. Yeah, for sure. I think that is a really really good way to um, teach different students at different levels and ages. Um, well, 
different uh, people that could be the same level in some sense and the same age. Yeah. Different. So um, I, I'm just really curious. Um, what was your youngest student in your class? Do you have like a record, like your youngest, maybe someone who's only very young and that person attended your PhD class and something like that happens? Well, it's I, I, and nothing comes to mind specifically my youngest students. So, but uh, but something does come to mind. <laughs> Not my youngest student, but I have a friend. Well, I, have, uh, uh, I had a friend. He died uh, a year ago. A uh, very close old friend, and you can look him up on the um, on YouTube. I'm sure his name is. Bob Kaplan or Robert Kaplan? Heard, I actually heard of that name. It's so very, very familiar, actually. Okay. And he um, he ran uh, things he called the math math circles. Mm -hmm. and they still exist. Yeah. And in fact, Mira Bernstein is uh, a part of um, uh, well, one part of her. Uh, activities is uh, a math circle which is in the style of Robert Kaplan's math circle mm -hmm. and I'll give you uh, an example that I think is quite inspiring and uh, conforms to your question about youngest students okay, sure because <laughs> he would have um, it, uh, the math circles consisted of after after school activities, yeah. having nothing to do with any particular school. There would just be a bunch of young students, children. Uh, he uh, he would have um, uh, a math circle of say four to six year olds or four to seven year olds. Mm -hmm. or seven to eight year olds or seven to ten year olds or ten to fourteen year four to fourteen year olds is the the full gamut mm -hmm. but any um, particular class that he would uh, have would have a, a cluster of 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 ages four to six I think is one mm -hmm. so we go into this Four to seven, maybe four to seven. He would go into this uh, classroom. There'd be a blackboard. It's the first time he would go in, and he'd begin to write one, two, three, five, six, seven. At that point, yep. a kid would say, "You forgot four. And he would say, oh, yeah, I forgot four. So he would, uh, erase a little uh, space to give himself a four between his three and his five. And he said, of course there's a four between three and five. And he would write his four between three and five and say, but there's no number between four and five. And some kid would say, well, I'm four and a half. He would hit his head again and say, oh, yes, you're right. He would, again, erase the blackboard, make space for his four and a half, and he would keep going 
by a series of blunders mm -hmm. to have the ch children begin to fill in number lines. And then the question is, um, uh, you know, what if you uh, subtract five from four? What does that mean? And they would develop vocabulary for what it means. So what we call negative numbers, dependent upon the class, what they would call it, because it would be their term. Mm -hmm. If I remember right, one class called the negative numbers kangaroo numbers because you jump backwards. Yeah. And the, the number line would get filled up by a successive blunders that he would make <laughs> and <laughs> corrections that the uh, students would make. So that's uh, a real way of um, inspiring young minds to produce mathematics. It's yeah. not learning mathematics, it's actually producing it by mm -hmm. uh, uh, by answering uh, a question and following one's curiosity. Yeah, so regarding what you mentioned of math, how I totally agree we have to inspire cre creativity by um, making younger students maybe find a way, like they have to be more excited and they have to be creative as well. And then we have to produce math instead of being absorbing the knowledge. So right. do you think math is a language in a way that is humanly constructed? Or do you think it's a spiritual existence? <laughs> Well, I don't. I'm not going to uh, 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 distinguish between one and the other. I don't see why they are, aren't both. But um, uh, the other thing I want to say is, following the Robert Kaplan mouth circle, you can go on YouTube mm -hmm. and him give such a class, uh, not of the sort I gave, but it's geometry rather than numbers, mm -hmm. where he would, he went into, um, it was a, a slightly older uh, class, and he, been, uh, he went into uh, the class, and first time, blackboard, he said, we're going to talk about the circle, and he draws a square. Some child said, that's not a circle. He looks at it and says, why not? So, well, a circle doesn't have corners. And so he smooths out the corners. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, how about that? And they they keep working on him, you know, yeah. to organize this circle until finally some uh, child uh is totally exasperated and she says look uh, uh here's a circle if you there's a point so that no matter where you look from that point uh-huh <laughs> uh, oh the distance uh, between the point, point to be the circle and they're all the same distance from yeah. the point okay so now now you you after this little interview, go to Euclid's geometry, book mm -hmm. one, and look for the definition of circle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And it's not any more cogent than that definition. Hmm. In fact, I prefer that definition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's all simplicity. And I find that through his method, it really, I really um, like his method. Uh, one reason for that is because it really emphasizes mathematical precision. And then you have to be precise when you're, when you define something, it can't, you can't make a one equal to two or a circle into a, into a square because they're so different things. And you have to be precise when you um, talk about these um, mathematical figures or shapes. So I think it's really important. Uh, yeah. Um, what was I, say, I, I would, I would draw another lesson from that. Yeah. And it is um, rather that it's best to start off from something imprecise and work yeah. your way. Imprecise. <laughs> or um, work your way to whatever it is you find yourself being uh, drawn to. Yeah, so when you um, talk about we starting from um, something that is imprecise, do you mean when we want to develop a new theorem, we have to establish a false statement first and then work our we way? Don't have to. We don't have to, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, we shouldn't be um, reluctant to. Mm -hmm. Beginnings are beginnings, and you begin where you feel is natural to begin and then uh if you um if you pursue it appropriately with the right spirit you'll you'll get somewhere yeah so um how how do you personally come up with your own theorem what is your um process of deducing something or coming up with a theorem curiosity Mm -hmm. that um there should be there should be an explanation that's missing that and i would like to find that explanation i would like to explain something to me that seems to beg for an explanation it's if you needed a, an English sentence that uh, uh, an English sentence that I'm happy with <laughs> <laughs> as a way of uh, pursuing mathematics. That's that's one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. I think it all starts from curiosity and and also um grit and persistence yeah persistence too um yeah for sure um could you also being respectful uh to yourself yeah That's for sure your intuitions uh and uh to your um desire to understand and that's that's what will propel you mm -hmm. 
Uh, so I also, I, I looked into your video and I saw that um, you also teach your granddaughter mathematics too. Um, so how do you teach, yeah, how do you teach her mathematics? Um, do you get her interested from drawing numbers out and then drawing a square no. and then, or whatever? Oh, no, it's, I mean, it's more, it, it's more part of our, I, 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 I can't in a, in a sentence give you a philosophy of how I do, how, how how we interact because we do interact but mm -hmm. it is so um specific to us that I don't I don't think it would help much. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, um um I guess diff teaching different kids mm -hmm. mathematics always differ and yeah. for sure um uh what do you think is the most um special part of the Harvard math curriculum or program. Well, you mean that there should be a particular aspect of the Harvard program? Mm -hmm. I, I would say, I would say one of the one of the great things about Harvard is not its program, but it's just its community. Yeah. It has a a congeniality there is something called the math table which mm -hmm. really works as a on a way of explaining in simple uh, attractive exciting enticing terms mathematical ideas and also gives people practice to do that mm -hmm. it's as much training of the people who go to the math table to try to understand for example what does it mean for um um uh um uh, a structure to um be maximal in one direction or another uh as it is for the uh presenter to try to figure out what does it mean <laughs> to present something in a comprehensible way so mm -hmm. there's the math table but there are many other things for example there used to be there still is but it it may have uh changed a tiny bit but there used to be something called the Basic Notions Seminar. Yeah. Cool. The Basic Notions Seminar uh, was exactly that. That uh, uh, a lecturer would come in and take a notion, you know, like continuity or something, mm -hmm. or a more technical notion like homotopy, and just try to see the range of mathematical directions that are connected by it. Mm -hmm. For example, I remember doing one such basic notions types seminar um, using Bernoulli numbers. You know, mm -hmm. how, does, how do Bernoulli numbers tie together so many different subjects in mathematics. They do. Um, and uh, the uh, 
the idea is not to give any, in, in the basic notions seminar, the idea was not to give any particular recent theorem. The idea was merely to give an overview so that there are, um, there are activities at uh, Harvard which are devoted to giving appropriate overviews that go beyond teaching any particular subject or um, giving any uh, an account of any recent uh, uh, wonderful result overviews. Mm -hmm. the, at one point, the basic notions seminar began to get too hard, or at least mm -hmm. for a while there, maybe it's gone back. Yep. Uh, and so the graduate students started something that they called the trivial notions seminar, which was meant to be the basic notions seminar correctly um, uh, calibrated, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so th that, that's really um, a very sparking point part of the Harvard's curriculum. So um, I would say that a lot of the courses there really um, teach students to implement these knowledge into real life so it's applicable in real life, basically, in our current society, really. Um, and so I also heard about um, there's a really extremely hard course at Harvard, which is Math 55. Yeah, yeah. And um, they were saying that that is a course for geniuses. A lot of people that I know, it's super difficult. Very difficult, yeah. Yeah, there is. It is. Yeah, so. Well, no easy courses. <laughs> I mean, out of, I mean, Harvard's courses are, of course, really, really difficult. But out of so many difficult courses, that is the most difficult course ever. Yeah, it covers a, a, a broad uh spectrum of uh even of subjects but of uh, topics um yeah it is yeah uh and do, do you teach math 55 before taught it. yeah um so at um harvard university i i would say that you've taught there for more than 10 years of course for well, um yeah uh, yeah more than 10 years in fact, uh, you know when I, I, I first came? Mm -hmm. When was your grand, grand, grandparents, your grandmother born? Oh, I think I forgot her birthday, but it's not like, I don't know, my, my grandma's like currently around 70, I think she is around that age. Okay. So, uh, okay, I was, um, I came when your grandmother was um, seven years old. Wow, crazy. <laughs> yeah. That is a long time. That a long time, is... yeah. Wow, so you are like decades at Harvard, basically. <laughs> well, more than six decades <laughs> oh for sure yeah i yeah because most professors i know they talk about how they taught there for um um 10 to 20 years and i thought that was just wow a long time but you stayed there for i don't know 70 years so that's 
a very close connection to the Harvard community. Yeah, 1959 is when I came. Yeah, um, calculation. <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, are people really casual or more serious at Harvard College? Are they? Oh, you mean over this span? Yeah, over your span of years, oh, what changes? Better. Much better. Uh, the students are much better. Oh, no. really? Over oh, the span okay. of years? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is it due to a more strict um, application process for Harvard? Like there's better people well, here? I think, I think oh, one of the things that, I, I, when I say students, I meant mathematics students, but I'm sure other departments as well. But with mathematics, the high schools became really good. Mm -hmm. And there are summer math programs that all of the um, high school um, students who are interested in math very often go to and they take, uh, um, uh, well, they, they do sort of perhaps elementary, but uh, probably uh, interesting and important research uh, tiny research projects even in uh, uh, in high school where this never happened in the early days in the early days we, we just have better students now I mean certainly very much more prepared students mm-hmm yeah, for sure. Um, I know right now a lot of people like there's um, lots of different programs, even like summer summer schools. So I think people are <laughs> more hardworking. I'm summer schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. And over your years at Harvard, um, which course was the most enjoyable to teach for you? Oh the, no, there was so many. I mean, I I can't make a choice of one or the other. I mean, I've taught in a lot of different subjects too. I began teaching largely in uh, um, topological ge geometric subjects, let me say. And mm -hmm. uh, now it's, and then algebraic subjects, and now uh, tends to be number theory. Oh, yeah. Also, um, I'm I. I have a I have a a position that is not only in the math department. It's a position which suggests that I teach um, co-teach in other departments as well, mm -hmm. and I do that, and I've done that for decades too. <laughs> Oh, so which departments do you teach at currently? Well, I used to, for example, I would teach, um, at least give seminars in the um, uh, history of science department. Mm -hmm. And now it's uh, in the philosophy department. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it's really diverse. I mean, you can yeah. always. Yeah. So how do you incorporate mathematical ideas to your philosophy? Okay. Yeah, well, it, I always co-teach with someone. One semester, I co-taught a course in the law school with uh, 
uh, a law professor, Noah Feldman, and then it's, the title of it was The Nature of Evidence. Okay. So you can imagine there's evidence in law, there's evidence in mathematics, there are evidence in other fields. We got people in other fields to come and um, just give uh, the students a sense of what it means to have a, a consensual understanding in their field that progress has been made due to evidence acquired and what does it mean to have evidence in their field and uh, it turns out that there's a it's it's fascinating that sort of different fields have different uh, uh concepts of evidence appropriate to uh regard as uh producing um, con a consensual progress in their in their field. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think there's always, do you think that math is really the fundamentals of everything in our society, of how our current society operates, how it's even incorporated into everything <laughs> as a basis? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so during your free times, do you um, read any novels or? <laughs> I read lots of novels. <laughs> yeah. Are, do you have any recommendations? I think that. Oh, oh uh, um, no, I'll hold off on recommendations. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm at the moment, I'm actually reading, well, reading and um uh, I mean, uh, uh, I don't think this would be helpful in, in, here. I've been reading uh, uh, Proust. Oh, so, Marcel Proust? Yeah. In Search of Lost Time? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's a huge volume. I, I think I only read a little bit of the first volume, but I, I think yeah. as a French writer, um, it's just a very, very beautiful written piece. It's like, I always wish that I knew if I were to know French, then I could actually maybe sense the significance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's wonderful. Yeah, for sure. What was, what, what's your favorite part of that novel? Because I think that some of my listeners, they might like that novel or something. Uh, well, to be clear, actually, I too had only read the first part, uh, Swan's Way. Mm -hmm. Years. And um, now I'm reading the very end. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, and I had read I had read the middle as well, but uh, I'd read Swan's Way quite a number of times. I loved it. Uh, I tried to uh, well, I'm, I'm, I I'd, I'd be going into too much detail for this uh, this little uh, for this conversation. But anyway, I loved it. Yeah, for sure. It's great. Um, 
And so um, I can tell that it you really like detailed books about um, very descriptive and with imagery. It's probably it seems yeah, like you're really into this description. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And do you have some one last little tip for how high school students could maybe for people especially who aren't really interested in math and they want help because currently I am tutoring kids um maybe my peers at school as well um what what do you think is a way in order to help them really get interested and really develop their skills well develop their skills is one thing uh but there is there is one book that i think helps a lot it may not get one into the type of mathematics that uh, you teach your students, but it is a wonderful book. It's uh, by Tobias Danzig, and it's called Number, the mm. Language of Science. Mm. Sounds really interesting. And uh, it's comprehensible to absolutely anyone. So you can give it to any any person you meet on the street and say, read this book, and it will very likely uh, grab them, no matter where they come from, what they know, what they don't know. When my father was um, in his mid-70s, and he had two sons who were both mathematicians, mm -hmm. But only in his mid-70s did he think he wanted to really learn mathematics. Oh. And I gave him that book, and it inspired him. I mean, he really, uh, first, he wrote marginal notes that were dense in the margins of the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, uh, it opened up the world of mathematics to him anyway but uh that may may not be that uh, appealing to very young people but it's certainly appealing to um uh certainly was appealing to my father <laughs> yeah for sure and i agree that maybe i should probably advertise it to my whole school and see if they like it maybe it's permanent see if they like it they will certainly comprehend it there is no one who will not understand it as it as it opens certainly and um, uh, and there's no one who won't learn something from it. Mm -hmm. As as I read it uh, again just recently, I realized, yeah, I'm still learning from that book. Yeah, and I think that maybe reading it many times really work as well. You can always. Yeah. Yeah taken new ideas and observations. Mm -hmm. I mean, it gives the history of number, really. Yeah, um, for sure. And, but thank you so much for responding sure. to my questions. And 